I'm Aidan Thompson from NUI Galway and this is a podcast from Irish National Opera at the 2019 Galway International Arts Festival. Least Like the Other, Searching for Rosemary Kennedy is an opera by Brian Irvine, which is about the tragic story of Rosemary, the sister of President John F. Kennedy, who, aged 23, was subjected to a lobotomy that left her permanently incapacitated. I spoke to the cast about this fantastic production. I began by introducing the cast to the Arts Festival audience. Okay, uh, well, welcome everyone to the post-performance discussion of Least Like the Other. Um, my name is Aidan Thompson, I have a music to anyone like all week. It's my very good pleasure to, uh, to share this discussion. Um, I, I will be asking some questions of our panel, but I will also be uh, inviting you, the audience, to ask questions as well. So don't be shy, and um, we will, there's lots to talk about. It's an amazing work we had this evening, and I'm sure you've all got your own thoughts on it. If I can um, start by just introducing everyone on stage, uh, from my left to your right, uh, we have on the product uh, the composer um, of, uh, of the opera, Brian Irvine. Um, I mean, after a while, we, we, we pretty much decided that we didn't want to do it. 
and uh, do a similar study of so many, so many uh, documents, papers about environmental and so on. And I thought that every time we, <clears throat> if we made anything up, like I read it, it just seemed to really detract from the, the integrity of her life and, uh, and our objective in making the piece. And so um, that's kind of why we sort of put ourselves in the opera in various pieces about the sensitization and I try to find a way to make this opera. Um, so we've got two much more attractive people to be us. I mean, one thing I said about I wasn't thinking so much the idea of something that was being written from without, but actually taking taking all this source information, so effectively that's what it is, yeah. and, and turning it into something that works on stage. Yeah, I mean, well, the, way, the way that the piece was put together was uh, once, once I started, very early on, once I started getting the whole idea of what this project was, I began this sort of massive process of writing this stuff and it was a kind of intuitive response to just, you know, things that I've read. I had actually no idea what I was writing, still don't really, but I ended up with a kind of big massive pool of things, which were just made as a kind of response to the information we were finding out. And so, um, and then, you know, the key to it was really Nisha, you know, who, who then, when we got together, we were able to say, well, what is all this stuff? What are we trying to do? What are we going to do with this? And that's when we really sort of piece it all together. But initially, this is a very kind of intuitive bunch of fragments, you know, and I think ultimately, you know, composed or sketched. And probably it leaves about 40 different fragments of which we kind of um, focused in about 13 or 14 of those. Uh, Nisha, perhaps I can turn to you now to, um, to uh, ask well, pretty much the same question, I suppose. Um, what do you saw as your role in the putting together of this uh, as a piece of theatre? Well, this is I have worked quite a lot on device pieces. And so it's a process that is quite familiar to me. And um, I was quite reluctant at the beginning of the project, I just felt it was almost impossible to tell the story. In fact, I think we both kind of felt that. But I really, really enjoy Brian's approach to music. I think it's incredibly liberating, very fresh work composed of what. And I was very keen to work with Brian. I just thought this would work. So, as he mentions, he's prolific. And he created so much material. And so in combining it together to create something that would at least work in some ways in the theatre, it was a question of sifting really. I have a, an immediate visual response to music, I can't help it, that's just what my, what my job is and what I do. And so I listened to these incredible excerpts. And it, you know, began to kind of piece together in terms of the fragments that we were unearthing. I mean, part of it is that there was so much redacted material, they just bits and pieces really. And it seemed very clear to me that, well, both of us, we couldn't do a, a pre-composed narrative that wouldn't kind of be reflected 
and the story itself can become our, you know, troubles in integrating the story. So this idea of fragments was very liberating. But it was also, it is kind of a reflection of the way that Brian has this incredibly eclectic, imaginative and vivacious approach to music. So it was just, I mean, for a very, very sad and troubling tale, the process, you know, has been a joy. It's been an incredible collaboration. And, um, yeah, what one has just somehow just clicked, you know, just as some, some projects do. And certainly something that, that struck me looking uh, or watching uh, as well as listening to this music was, um, and to this uh, opera was just how much was happening on stage. You, we've, got, we've got the text here, so there's that sense of, um, of I guess, the Brechtian breaking down the, of the fourth wall, bringing, bringing us in and making it very clear and um, what we're, we're meant to think not, I imagine we would any of us thought much differently, um, uh, just on, on human terms. Um, we've got the sense of different uh, noises coming through, as well as musical noises that's recorded sound. Um, and then we've got the, the, the visual imagery, particularly the, the sense of the freedom of the swimmer and the purely wordless musical sounds at that, that point. Um, in a creative process such as this, who comes up with the idea? Is it a case that you, you will suggest something or you will see it in a particular way and, and then go back to Brian and, or, or Brian will come to you and say, uh, I think this would work like this? Or, or how does it work in a collaboration of this sort? Hmm. Or is it just a case of it being greater than some of its parts? It would be very difficult for me to respond to that question. I'm not really sure. It just seemed quite organic. Right. I think um, I think the thing is I'm very interested in exploring what opera can be. It's the most incredible art form. It really is. It's something that I think seems to exclude a lot of people and I, I really am so <coughs> emphatically committed to finding out why and getting rid of those senses of exclusion. Because in opera, you do have multiple layers. You have it coming together of so many forces and so many talents. I think it's an absolutely astonishing thing. And I also am very, very interested in how new media or new approaches can keep refreshing this art form and keep it relevant. Um, but you have, as you mentioned, this incredible toolbox. You know, we can have things happening simultaneously and although sometimes overwhelming, sometimes the feeling of being overwhelmed is what we're after. You know, so you have text, you have music, you have visuals, you have live performance recordings. And I think actually, I can't think of any other art form really that you have so many different assaults on the senses, which can take you, I think, somewhere very, very profound because it's so non-literal, you can really get to the heart of something. And I think this is why it can really shake and move you. And, and I think, um, too, that the, as you say, not, not just uh, non-literal, but in this case also, um, only it, to a certain degree temporal, that, uh, that we're having snapshots of, of different periods in Rose's life, of course, 
Um, we really begin at the ending um, before getting back to, to that ending uh, again with, with Rose going through all those numbers which we now realise <coughs> part of the, the process of what she was going through in the, in the philosophy itself. Um, so we can play around with time in that way, in a way that we couldn't perhaps, if it were, a straight play. Um, could I maybe uh, pass the microphone over now to, to Amy? Because um, uh, um, well, first of all, Amy, um, what a wonderful performance. Thank you so much for it. Um,
And all of that will translate into something that is real. Text is not the only way in. No, actually, music is not the only way in as well. Um, and I suppose, I suppose, to just in thinking of how other um, other examples of madness, other examples of oppression, are demonstrated in, in operas throughout history, it, it often tends to be, funny enough, um, from not just other figures but other figures as well. And there's, there's plenty of evil mothers, of course, evil stepmothers um, in in opera. And uh, and one of the things that struck me is that you know, river, river or no river. Early on, you were happy to read out all the things associated with Rose Senior, mm -hmm. and you were managing to step up away from from that to being the person um, who has managed to read the stage in this remarkable state um, <laughs> at the end. And it's, yeah, the stage is lovely. Even more photocopies, I think. The but moving moving from one of these types of, of characters to another in such a short space of time, is there a sense of compartmentalise your thinking of the it, or is it a case of a narrator, so to speak, just taking on a different role as soon as on? If you imagine, um, I don't know, a closet full of clothes, and you hook into one thing, you ride on that for a little bit, you hook into the next thing. Right. And the, actually the, the changes between the scenes are very swift, and whatever it is, that gets me in there usually gets me in for good. I don't know. I suppose it's a little bit like recital work, switching between different worlds and mm -hmm. cabarets and whatnot. Yeah. Right. So that's why I actually took care of the transitions, didn't we? In the rehearsal room, we knew that those were the most essential parts to get everybody in the room along with us on the bus for the next scene. Okay, well, I mean, perhaps this is good to hand the microphone to, to Fergus and ask you first. Okay. Yes. Um, what has that um, with the biggest challenges in uh, in rehearsing this piece? What it was like working with the composer and as well as with the singer. You need to give away ways in. You don't want to, but uh, I, I don't know how many can see this. I just need time. And no, and, and, I mean this was a uh, this is a huge challenge I think for everybody, certainly for me, and uh, because uh, you know I. I've done a lot of work with Brian over 10 years or more. We've, we've done seven things a year together, and I know his music and I know his style. And uh, I, when we talked about this piece, I wanted it to be at the extreme end of everything he could do. I wanted him to sort of put all the energy and all the tools and all the everything he's that I've seen of his over 10 years. I wanted it all in this piece. I wanted you know this to be the most amazing. Melting pot because the story seems so extreme that it seems to require an extreme response. So when I visited this piece in my head before I ever heard any of the music, it was a pretty extreme piece. And so I knew it wouldn't be, uh, it wasn't going to be easy for anybody. And uh, yet I knew that along with that extremist, that, that uh, Brian has a fantastic sort of heart and soul in his music, and that that would come through too. So it wouldn't be just extreme, extreme music for you know for uh, superficial effect or anything like that. Uh, but so yeah, when, I mean the, the score is, is complex and there's lots of that. But what, what I suppose what I enjoy most about work with Brian, as opposed to other composers, is that he has an enormous openness 
So if I say to him, like, maybe we could do this slightly differently or do a different tempo or suggest different dynamics or phrasing or anything boring, uh, he, he lets me away with it most of the time. <laughs> he seldom stops me. Um, uh, so it's a kind of a, uh, I get a chance to also contribute in a small way um, to, to shaping the, the, the score um, and, and the, the, you know, the experience that everybody has. And that's, that's rewarding because kind of very most of you don't do that, you know, you do exactly what's on page and you do that shots from our CV8 at the moment. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, um, so for all those reasons, I knew it would be a challenge, and not just, as I say, for myself and the musicians in the band, but for, for Naomi, for the other cast members, for, for everybody on the team, or, I mean, for the you know, production side of things. I knew what Nisha would bring to it would be also incredibly rigorous, and uh, probably, I'm not an expert on video, but I'm sure that was not easy to, <laughs> to achieve what we achieved here. And uh, so, you know, it's really important for me that you know when you, when you have a, a vision of what something might be before it exists, that then when it comes out of the at the upper end or of your expectations, that's brilliant. You know, very important. As indeed it was. Um, could I maybe just open the questions up now to the audience? Uh, I'm sure there will be some that people want to ask. We have a roving mic. Anyone? Yes, up the back. Would you consider me in this show? 
So there was a lovely kind of, it works very well with the idea that we have, we wanted it to be not meta in a kind of pretentious way, but really we wanted it to be aware of itself as the impossibility of what it was, which is why we put these two albeit much younger and more beautiful versions of Brian and me just searching, just looking and seeking. And so, and you know, the kind of, the, the, the text on the back wall is the actual script that we've been using, you know, it's all, it all falls back into itself. And then the idea that the assistant director will just carry on into the actual performance somehow gave us that distance that was quite useful. And I think that's why Rose dominates in a story that she, she doesn't dominate, actually. Joe was certainly the dominating character in that family. I mean, this is, this is an archetypal patriarchal um, but really it's, I think Naomi said, said this, we are exploring those forces around Rosemary that allow this to happen, and almost every single one of those is a reflection of patriarchal structures and the dangers of them. Thank you, Nisha. Um, uh, Naomi or, or um, uh, anyone else, actually? Um, Brian, folks, you can talk to that, to that at all? Thank you. 
Um, the set was so beautifully made. And this doesn't always happen. So when I first came in here, um, the idea also was a white box in the black box, you know, it was kind of but I came in and it was built and I was really, I was overwhelmed actually because the team here, both in this venue and the set builders and Irish and Shopper, they are, they are so good and there was an attention to detail which is unbelievably rewarding, it does not always happen. There's something sometimes about theatre which is unlike in our gallery where things are slightly rough. Because I think that's really that you are quite away from the stage and therefore you'll never notice and see it together and sell it. And that hasn't been the approach here. And it was incredibly rewarding because I don't feel like that's been the approach in the music or you know, in, in costume making, in any part of it. It was the attention to detail and the rigor. And I think it's because we really cared about this girl and somehow not to really, really take care and every part of it would have been somehow wrong. Okay, uh, other questions? Yes, just on the right hand side. Being in some sort of weird 
to a kaleidoscopic world where things happen and you don't really know what to make of them except your intuitive response. And that was the area that we wanted to be in. We didn't really want to tell anybody anything. We just wanted to create the dynamic between things that, that would it sort of suggest something which we don't really know what that is either. But it's just a, a thing. <laughs> yes, just add to focus. Can I just say, if it's your first time you're paid, thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> we want more people to come to their first topic. Uh, we're quite a new company. We only started in January of last year, 18 months old, and this is our first world premiere that we've um, produced. So we're very <laughs> I will say to you that this is the most unusual opera I've ever seen. <laughs> This is not normal. <laughs> so do try normal opera as well. <laughs> but but well, one of the one of the wonderful things about this is, and I think it's also a bit hard to call any opera normal. <laughs> Such a thing exists. But what I, what I mean is like operas from the you know the historic repertoire. The, what I love about opera is that no two um, no two performances are the same. No two people's experiences are the same. And sometimes, for example, we, we did Magic Food quite recently, and we had nine performances of those nine, ten, all nine of them. And each one was different for me, you know. Uh, and, and, and obviously, everybody in the audience has different experiences. So, in opera, because there's often so much going on, you can choose to listen to the orchestra for a while and zone out of the, of the stage, or you can just be listening to a particular singer, or you can be looking at costumes, or marveling at something scenically. So there's so much to enjoy that it's, it, it's never a singular experience. It's always this multiplicity of experiences. And sometimes I find it takes me days to grapple with things. Afterwards, I'm still thinking about things um, and still digesting in my head. So I hope you're doing that. And just, and just following up what Bowen says there, I think a feature of opera has always been its ability to do lots of different things at once, but particularly 20th and 21st century opera, uh, where, the, where I think the, the idea of capturing the world as we find it today, where everything's happening once, is something that composers have taken really seriously. And uh, in what we saw tonight, uh, perhaps a particularly remarkable example of that, which is something that you will find, I think, Scale and smaller scale, 
you know, with you know, happy to tell the sofa crime, you should both tell talk earlier about how it was um, you know, how it was just very difficult to sort of arrive at a way of telling this story. And uh, I'm super pleased that in the end we have something which is so um, multi-dimensional and, and only one opera singer and two actors and Ethan in the booth and, and, and this crazy band which includes some people who are reading music and some people who are reading it as they go along. Um, so you know, it's just... But, but we didn't start out that way. You know, we, we, we spent the day recording something with the Orkney National Symphony Orchestra. We had 90 musicians in, in the concert hall and we recorded like lots of bits and then threw them all out and then uh, started again. So, you know, there's, um, yeah. And actually, just in terms of the genesis of the I can make a sense to Amy here. Um, when, when were you asked to play this part? And what was your reaction to, 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 to be asked? Well, I knew I'd have to chain myself to the piano for one thing, for sure. Um, and that the only way in was to go in wholeheartedly, which I think everybody in the room has done, which is the most rewarding way to work, Which I was just at that we had three weeks in the rehearsal room, which to make a piece out of nothing should have been impossible. And without Naomi O'Connor, would have been impossible. She's an amazing, phenomenal performer.
Yeah, so so in terms of like the wider farming, we don't know. Um, we, we may know if we get the chance to do a Boston or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to see. Thank you for your attention to this. I hope you enjoyed this evening and I wish you, wish you well. So, uh...